on your Starfinder news, reviews, and interviews podcast. I'm Alexander Agunis, No Directions Everyman Gamer, and I'm joined, as always, with two of the most intrepid Starfinders on this side of the galaxy. Hi, I'm James. I used to write Code Switch. Uh, hi, I'm Dustin. I write things. And uh, today, we have a very special guest, as was, as was foretold in our last installment. Uh, we're here with... Uh, Oh my gosh, I'm going to mess up your title. I'm not going to mess up your title. Starfinder Senior Developer, John Compton. Yeah! That sounds right. There we go. Wee. I'm sorry. I hope I gave you a promotion that you deserve. I mean, you'd have to be sharing that in front of other folks, too. That's fair. <laughs> so, welcome to the show once more, John. We love having you, and we're very thankful that you're uh, stopping on by to uh, spill the beans on Drift Crisis with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a fun book. Oh, oh, gosh. And I heard, the, uh, I heard the folks here uh, basically got to take a look at it a couple or a week or two ago. We did. Uh, two, two weeks ago. Well, you see, well, actually, about a month ago, uh, we reviewed the precog. And as part of, uh, you know, tapping into the forces of the future, we were gifted with a otherworldly insight of a book that's yet to come, The Drift Crisis. So we just naturally needed to warn everybody about it. And mm. so that's what we did on our last episode. Uh, but now it seems like we're here with uh, one of the architects of the whole thing. So uh, I guess we're going to, that's where we're going to head from here. <laughs> Tell us what it's like to cause catastrophes. Yeah, so uh, the Drift Crisis, Drift Crisis kind of came from a, a different place than a lot of our other books. And, and mm -hmm. like, you've already gone over how the format is. Is a creature of its own, uh, entirely different creature, really. Um, so we've had things where it's like, okay, let's choose a theme, like Tech Revolution, like Galactic Magic, where it's like, okay, we, we clearly have something to consolidate around and then we can kind of mm -hmm. just spin off of this is going to be magical stuff cool um we have the occasional like uh character operations manual where it's just player option um <laughs> alien archives things like that um but one of the things that we were we, we basically had a chance now that we've been doing starfinder for a couple of years of looking back and saying and asking ourselves what are some of the implications of starfinder's setting that were uh, really, really smart early on that mm. have opened up more and more questions as we've gone on. Because mm. um, Starfinder, uh, for a long time, has been a super flexible setting. It's like, hey, here are the packed worlds, here's the Viscarian, here are all these other things, and you can say, heck with it, and you can just hit the drift button and fly <laughs> off and go into some other planet and not care about anything else. So it's kind of a... It makes it really easy to put your own setting within our setting. Um, which Boy, is, do I know that. Yeah, yeah which, which is trickier compared to, or trickier than uh, what, what's true for, like, Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. um, Pathfinder, it's like, oh, here's the inner city region. You can say, I want to play in Blue Blue Blurk, the, the nation that exists between, I don't know, Raha <laughs> and Pubia. Poor um, mm -hmm. Blurk, Blurk, Blurk. Um, and we can say, well, that's not even on the map. What are you doing? I mean, it's your game, but it, it, it makes less sense for people. Um, but Starfinder is just like, go wherever. It's super flexible. How long does it take to get to this place? Eh, roll some dice. Um, no matter what it is you're doing. Okay, well, how close is the Viscarian to the pack world? It's near space, three to six days. Um, like, there's a lot of wibbly wobbly uh, to the setting. Mm -hmm. And that's been super cool for that flexibility purpose. What it has been trickier for uh, has involved things like visualizing the setting. Mm -hmm. Like there are a lot of setting these sci-fi settings that have like the galaxy map, and you'd be like, "Oh, here's this. Here's Hut Space. Here's 
the alpha quadrant, blah, blah, blah. Um, but there's also uh, like questions about some of the underlying features of our setting that have been real big question marks to a lot of the fans. Um, and, you know, even with some of the changeover that we've had in our staff, like there, there are questions for us of like, how, how exactly did this work? Does this work? Do we want it to work? Um, what's our plan in the future for X feature? And on top of that, uh, we looked back at a lot of our adventure paths and we sort of asked ourselves, like, especially compared to Pathfinder adventure paths, what what's the basis for understanding the stakes of these? When we look at a Pathfinder adventure path like uh, Wrath the Righteous, it's like, okay, well, if the PCs don't win, then the world wound, you know, implodes outwards which is you know paradoxical <laughs> but um but it's clearly going to have ramifications on what we know and love um if we look at attack of the swarm uh oh no the suskalon system has been etted um <laughs> oh no we only have two billion other star systems in the galaxy <laughs> like there's a certain level of, of um scope and and consequences that having a whole galaxy to play with causes causes a lot of these stories to be feel very localized mm -hmm. um and it even opens up the question of in starfinder like who, who who are the antagonists like who who's the villain here like yeah we can wander over to the Islanti star empire and they can be all angry nazi times but <laughs> but but like in the grand scheme things like what, what What's the threat? The swarm seems to be just sort of munching off in a corner. Corner? I don't know. We don't have a galaxy map. So it's like, what's happening here? Um, and yeah. so as we started to discuss these things on our team, we're like, well, we should make some things happen. Like, let, let's give something that isn't just like, oh, this one star is going to explode and everybody else is going to shrug. Um, let's make it something that's going to have far-reaching consequences. Um, because if we just blow up a star, most people playing in their home games or in our adventure paths are going to say, eh. um, <laughs> whereas if it's something that affects the entire galaxy, suddenly it's something that anybody can be using, whether it, they're creating, using their own little fragment of a home campaign setting, or whether they're playing in our um, more established playground, uh, we'll have something that happen. And so we, we investigate, like, okay, what can we do that can affect most or all of the galaxy? And there are some ideas that we've tossed around that we sort of saved in our back pocket for possible future times. We'll, mm. We're kind of seeing how the drift crisis plays out and we'll have fun from there. Um, but we wanted to play around with some sort of big event. And the drift is so central to what the Starfinder setting is. Um, it's going to show up in like the top five, like what, what does the Starfinder setting involve things that like pretty much anybody who's read even a little bit of the book will be like, oh, the drift is borked. Okay, uh, that is <laughs> yeah. bad. And I mm. kind of have a sense of how and why and why I should care. Um, so we, we basically settled pretty quickly once we started going down this, this, this uh, rabbit hole bucket of squirrels, whatever. Um, <laughs> we were going to um, mess up the drift somehow and that uh, we wanted certain things to be true about how it got messed up. Because even, like, from a narrative perspective, like, various causes of a drift crisis are going to have different impacts on a story that's told. Like, mm. did the gods mess it up? Okay, well, this says something about the narrative and how we can or cannot fix it or address right. it or go in and punch it back to normal, uh, however the heck you play your, your particular game. 
Um, if it's some people, like mortal people, who are just like, we, we stuck a screwdriver into the uh, <laughs> cosmic outlet of the drift, and now it flipped upside down. That's bad. Um, that also has its own narrative implication. So we, we uh, basically created our kind of semi-canonical ending, um, but mm-hmm. we wanted to approach the drift crisis in a way that, that supported the same flexibility that we've supported in the Starfinder setting from the beginning, which mm-hmm. is to say, hey, here's the crisis, here are lots of ideas of what might have caused it, and you can make whichever one of these true that you want it to be in order to tell the story that you want to tell. Mm. Um, and in the back of the book, we will share what we are going to kind of presume is the the actually behind-the-scenes thing <laughs> um, that we'll kind of use for, for framing some of our future books. But you can kind of just adopt as much or as little of that as you particularly want. Like, you can resolve the drift crisis in your own way um but it's it's a it's an event it is an event that has an ending and it is an event that will change up the starfinder setting some Mm -hmm. but not so much that you feel like your previous stuff is completely invalidated cool cool uh i mean that's definitely the impression that we got from reading the book too and it's very cool to hear about like how the thought processes went into and like what uh, ultimately came out to be what is uh, arguably one of the greatest setting books that has been published for a tabletop RPG. I've said that twice now. I said that in the last episode. Too. <laughs> um, so I guess from there, like, uh, how did you conceptualize that uh, this was going to happen? Like, uh, how, like, how did you conceptualize like the book? Not so much like the broad picture, but we're like, how did you start like building this event in this this book? When, once we knew that we were doing a galaxy spanning thing Mm -hmm. we knew that our standard strategies for publication were not necessarily going to be sufficient like uh when i think about like uh doing pathfinder society for in first edition it was okay we're going to have an ap about this event we're probably going to have a standalone module or something there will be three pathfinder society scenarios and pathfinders will have mucked up something somewhere so um and then we'll kind of call it a day and move on um this is one where, okay, if, if the whole galaxy is being affected, there are millions and millions of possible stories that could be mm. telling uh, the events here. So we knew that just doing one AP or two APs or two APs plus some Starfinder Society scenarios or even a standalone adventure would not be enough. Um, and there were so many, so many places, so many people that we have introduced in the setting where it's like, we can't just have one of these be the packed world side and one of these be i don't know but you're in the vescarium uh things we needed to provide a lot of a lot of options here Mm -hmm. and so doing a hardcover book was going to allow us to to basically present this wide array of possibilities um so uh, you may have covered in the previous episodes like there are 20 big adventure hooks that are basically outlining the equivalent of a standalone adventure or an adventure path if you so desire that are telling you the main story beats uh that are going into this and as well as some places that you can vary things up showing you some tools that you can use to, to put things together but it's very little of hey here's this exact encounter here is here's the stat block for the thing um it's about it's about enabling you as the gm to create a cool story uh based on this this outline um but we needed to do that to to really cover so much ground yeah it's a lot of ground to cover and i do really enjoy the canon ending 
for why it happened because investigating the wrong answer is often as enlightening or as fun as investigating the right answer. Definitely. Oh, totally. Yeah, and, and like any catastrophe where there's not enough information, um, a lot of the drift crisis isn't even about resolving the drift issue itself. It's about all of the chaos that follows. Mm-hmm. Um, and and how everybody seems to have a completely different approach to understanding or, or taking advantage of that chaos. Um, so, uh, like, when, when we're... Because this was a very new book, um, we took some time to uh, basically prototype some of the sections to create mm-hmm. some sample articles that we could send them to authors and say, this is what we're aiming for. Um, so there is... Uh, one where it's like, oh, geez, what is what is that even called? Um, but I should know better. The Apocalypse Pod. There we go. Um, <laughs> toward the end of the, the Adventure Seeds. But it's, it's basically a, a question of like, okay, we have a Doomsday scenario that's happening. Uh, we, we have a setting that has a lot of Doomsday cults. So if Doomsday is <laughs> happening and all of them are looking at each other and be like, hey, hang on, are we invited? Um, <laughs> the Apocalypse Pod is, is about um, several of these different groups who are all basically saying, oh, no, this is going to be our moment to do the thing. So you have like, uh, worshippers of Grotus who are like, it's the end times. Let, let's do a big old dance. Let's see about making it as fantastic an end as we can. Or there are the Kuthites who are saying, you know, if you look back far enough, we think that Zonkathon might have survived into this reality by escaping reality. And, <coughs> and has anybody else noticed the big old, like, escape pod that seems to be, like, god-sized that's on the, uh, the, the border of the galaxy? Any, any concerns here? Can we get on part of that? Or, <laughs> like, the, the devourer cult, or cult of the devourer who's just like, you know, if it's the end times, uh, let's set everything on fire. Like, we were already <laughs> setting things on fire. We were already eating some corpses. Let's set everything on fire and eat all of the corpses. So it could... it's like, it, it's basically what happens when you have all these um, not only doing their own thing, but looking at each other and saying, no, it's our apocalypse. And then they start fighting. And, and the, the adventure's premise, or the campaign's premise, is that you are kind of, you've been kind of uh, stuck in terms of the drift crisis and can't necessarily get home. But are on a fairly isolated planet that is caught in the crossfire of two or all three of these. And Love can it. you survive the chaos and or even turn them against each other and even figure out what the hell is with this Kuthite pod anyway? Um, so it's, it's stuff like that where where it's providing kind of a, an, a premise, an arc of how things could play out, and then some options of how you might consider wrapping it up as, as a GM. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, I kind of present this as a way of saying like, Hey, this one barely even has to do with drift. It's just about stuffs on fire. Who cares? Um, and the answer is these chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I love uh, it. We we have a question from chat. Uh, Raising Rune Lords asks: Drift Crisis sounds very Warhammer 40k inspired. How much input did for Drift Crisis came from? I hope I'm saying this right. Inquisitor Hillman. Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, Thirsty was definitely part of our, our planning process for this. Um, and, you know, everybody on the team uh, at the time has the, their own their own things they have a deep background lore into. So, like, Thirsty sure does no 40K. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's kind of our, our alert 
whenever we start to veer deeply into 40k adjacent stuff so mm. we can be saying okay this is this is something where we think that we can distinguish ourselves by doing this variation as opposed to exactly the same but but like oh no the hyperspace realm and it's terrible like warping of people as they go through it okay yeah yeah that that, yep. that 40k element has a little bit of overlap with the drift crisis where our hyperspace realm has become more unpredictable mm. um but um we didn't really go into it being like oh let's let's make sure that we can get uh make sure that Faster than light travel is only accessible to uh, the empire of man, and uh, you can only do it if you are, in fact, sacrificing a pile of psychics. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty deep in the 40k lore, and when we did the initial episode, a lot of people were bringing up comparisons, and yeah, on a surface level, some of them are similar, but it's just because there's like, you know, over 20 sci-fi plots here, and, you know, they're, yeah. <laughs> if yeah. you dig in a well, eventually you get the same water, you know? Right, right. As I think I've mentioned a couple of times uh, before, like Starfinder Society, Thirsty and I ran into some initial difficulties coming up with the narratives because there was a a reflexive oh, but Star Trek did that from mm -hmm. from within the team, and we were kind of like paralyzed. Where it's like, uh, of course Star Trek did it. Like <laughs> Star Trek has done all this. Like, what do you want? Yeah, it's just been a year for like it's twenty three plot lines per year that star trek has never done um so it, you, it's it, you, it's you expand the vocabulary of sci-fi and science fantasy and you say okay this is this is kind of similar to this thing but let's let's see how we can make it starfinder um and and there's some of that to the drift crisis as well yeah i think especially when you get into the individual articles there's a lot of care given to help you build out your lore for places because you in like um uh, the Pact Worlds and other books, they give you like ideas of what regions are like, but when you face with a crisis, you get to see what things would be like, and I think that helps expand your game's fire, and really helps push the setting into why these are different, because using 40k as this example, that's all grimdark. Everything is just the worst version of whatever it is, but having these things happen in a Starfinder universe that is maybe equal parts altruism to just carnal awfulness uh, gives you a different experience. One of the... Um... One of the things that tends to make Trek fans really love Deep Space Nine is like showing the, what happens when the Federation is in serious crisis, mm. when it's up against the gun and it has to question its happy, high-minded ideals. Um, and so there's an extent to which we have presented all these pack worlds and, and other realms where it's like, here's what they look like in a vacuum. And now we're just like, and, and now everything's covered in blood. Like, how, how do they respond? Um, oh, no. Um, <laughs> apparently they, they respond by, by Alex disappearing. So, um, <laughs> just, by just killing <laughs> Alex. Uh, mm. But, but, but that sort of, that sort of notion is, uh, okay, let, let's see what these places are like under pressure now. Um, and, and had, again, it, the book can only be so large. So we've, we've had to do some like, okay, this planet gets two paragraphs moving on. Um, <laughs> but it was it's very much a fun exploration of what happens when they're under pressure. Because some of them break and some of them adapt in really fun ways. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed that because uh, there's one, um, there's one republic in the book that breaks, and you don't expect them to be the ones that break, and you're like, oh, 
I, when you explain this, this makes sense. And I kind of like that they're the ones who break because they're also the ones who say that we would never break. And I'm like, mm. jokes on you. You probably know who I'm talking about with that description. <laughs> I, I think so. There, there are only so many that use that term. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So um, yeah, even Avalon, just like having something that's inherently technological uh, go wrong, having it, having the technological planet suddenly having to take all the backlash whether that's earned or not just how they respond to that it's super interesting yeah and just the, the drift crisis being an opportunity having a, a, a player character background hook of i am a triunite i am suddenly everybody's scapegoat um <laughs> what what do like am i taking this upon myself to fix the galaxy's drift crisis problem just so that because apparently i I get to be the one who caused it, according to what's his face down the street. Um, so, like that, that can be that can be loads of fun, or or it could be like, you know what? Uh, I didn't know that we could mess with the drift, but now that I know, I want to go in and also tinker with it. Um, I've never disassembled a, a, a transitive plane. Let's see what that's like. Player <laughs> <laughs> well, characters are really responsible on those things. So. <laughs> Speaking about characters who are almost certainly very responsible, if you were going to sit down and you were going to play a game in the Drift Crisis, what types of Drift Crisis themes would you personally want to explore? What, what to you is, do you think is the most like quintessential Drift Crisis P PC? The hardest um, question I've ever asked right now. So, so there are a couple. There are a bunch of different themes that the Drift Crisis is playing around with. So, one of them is the Drift itself, and we have. We've, we've shown how the drift incorporates bits of other planes every time it's used. And so there are already a bunch of not at all native um, inhabitants kind of floating through the drift, um, mm -hmm. some of them happier than others. Um, but the, the idea of somebody who has done a lot of stuff in the drift, has lived in the drift, was born in the drift for some ungashy reason, um, like mm -hmm. the idea of what happens when, you're, when your home or your, your stomping ground is under threat uh, could be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, also, I really like uh, storylines that are going to question the presumed accessibility or travel accessibility of the setting. Because when you can get anywhere, anywhere in the galaxy in at most 30 days, uh, then, I mean, not, nothing's really blocked off. But, but the idea of... Um, saying, oh, suddenly reinforcements might never come because we can't trust travel anymore. Um, or I am stranded here now because I can't, tr I, I'm not confident in our way back or whatever the case. Mm -hmm. I think that's a fun theme as well. So you can have these, um, th these people who thought that they had a way out or that they could just kind of be a tourist adventurers and in fact, mm -hmm. can't. And now, and now their stakes and where they are are so much larger. We're not just here for a four-hour Starfinder Society scenario. We 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 live here now. Um, <laughs> and problems are our problems, and its problems might have been the problems that we caused right before the drift crisis started. And now we have to uh, deal with that instead of flying off. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I prefer getting a chronicle sheet rather than dealing with consequences. <laughs> I don't like this at all. Um, Gosh, you sound like you're talking about the, uh, the Gibrani. Yeah. The Gibrani. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah <geez. laughs> Just imagine that you, you, you start that society scenario and then drift crisis happens and you're like, 
quick, we've told them the truth. Hit the drift button. <laughs> I said, hit the drift button. No, hit the drift button. <laughs> <laughs> Violence is bad. <laughs> but that sounds fun. Um, uh, there's a bunch of cool options in this book, too. Any of them for this theoretical character you'd want to play? That you would want to use? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I think... I think that uh, things like the the various drift tied spellcasting options are going to be good fun. There's a drift mm -hmm. connection for mystics. There's a uh, drift uh, anchor for the precog. Um, things like that. Where where whether this was something that was true about you before, or is something that has suddenly just snapped into place for you, uh, could be a lot of fun. So the the idea of quick aside, like part of that flexibility for using the drift crisis in your your own games is. The idea that you can basically be just dropping the drift crisis midstream into what other whatever game you're playing and mm -hmm. when you are talking about like a level seven campaign at this point that you've been playing for, for weeks or months or whatever um saying oh great there's a new mystic connection that i sure should have picked at first level um <laughs> might not be the most helpful thing in the world uh but if the drift crisis happens and suddenly your your connection as a mystic uh, shunts over to the drift, mm. and, and now you, your connection swapped out. It's like changing out your sorcerer bloodline. Um, all of a sudden, suddenly there's this big old personal mystery of not just why can't we travel places, but why am I getting drift-related magic? Why do spectras show up to deliver my spells? Like, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, um, for me, the options that I would want to choose are the ones that are going to be really setting up an interesting why should I care or what is my goal in the Drift Crisis sorts of stories. Mm -hmm. I I think my favorite idea is like not knowing your GM is going to drop in the Drift Crisis but playing a precog of the Drift Crisis and then yes. being like it's going to happen someday and oh I'm so sorry everybody this is my fault my bad my bad y'all we're, we're stranded with the Gabrani and here I am anchored to this phenomenon enjoy <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, and because there's so many questions um of what caused the drift crisis that, that first chapter is basically set up like a player's guide for an adventure path so it's really low on spoilers it presents a lot of like what ifs or the following five things could be true maybe um sort of things <laughs> uh but the idea of leveraging that uncertainty into your campaign as a gm is one of those truly sadistic narrative choices that hopefully you have the group that that you all trust each other each other enough because when the drift crisis starts in your game is your call so the players are like oh no um obozaya got hit by a train um and sure did die horribly but that's okay we have this you know resurrection ritual We'll just do the resurrection ritual. It'll all work out. You finish the ritual, and boom! Drift crisis happens. Keskadai's connection changes to the drift. Mm. And everybody's yeah. like, oh no! Oh, was that us? And, you know, everybody you run into has their own theories about what the drift crisis is like. Oh, I'm sure the Trionites did it. Or it must be the Spectra messing around with the reality. Or Triune finally decided to take over the universe. Uh, and Keskadai is just sort of rocking back and forth, being like, oh, I hope they never party <laughs> 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 wasn't it? Um, 
and whether or not you were in fact the ones who did it or whether this was just a bad instance of timing um, and you were mystically open enough at the time, like you mystically opened yourself up to the cosmos enough that mm. your connection changed. Mm. You recall that, but, um, but that can be that sort of moment that, that brings the PCs into not just a reflexive, oh, this is what, what kind of surviving and more, oh, this is why we are now doing this thing, or this is why my class abilities changed. And I want to know why the heck we did it. Not just by you know, grabbing the gym by the shoulders and shaking them and saying, what the hell? Um, <laughs> I love it. That's so great. Um, I know in my home game, I added the drift crisis as like a consequence to like the cosmic things that are going on. And so now like everybody's just yelling all the different reasons they think the drift is crisis is happening and the players actually know why. And they are just sitting there like, do we tell them? We can't tell them. They won't believe us. Yeah. No, they won't believe us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Good stuff. I, I, I think that is the most fun. Because you, you give them that information and they can't use it. It's like, what are you going to do with that? Go on. Tell, the, tell the, the news media. Do it. I dare you. And they're like, we don't like the way you said that, Alex. We're not going to tell them anything. I'm like, no, tell them, please. No. Go ahead. No, no, okay, you, you have now convinced this, this group to uh, help you because they think that you might be the key to all of this. Uh, in other news, the lounge downtime activity is no longer available because <laughs> you will never again know peace. <laughs> <laughs> you will never again, indeed. Um, I, I I love talking about this book. This book is so much fun to talk about. Uh, you mentioned before that when we were talking that there's a whole bunch of creepy crawlies in this book. Do you have a favorite creepy crawly? Uh, sure, do the the um, the Undershrike. Uh, so Absalom Station, because Absalom Station has always had this. Uh, interesting tie to the drift because it, mm-hmm. it's like a drift super drift beacon in a way um there's a certain level of travel stability that absalom station still has during drift crisis um mm-hmm. and so one of the things that means is that people say well at least absalom station is on fire let's go there um and absalom station is is built to handle a certain population and not more um and so uh, there are a couple of different adventure hooks in here that are tied into what's happening with Absalom Station. Um, and are you are you basically like trying to resolve some things on a much bigger scale, like the supernatural scale? Like how can we leverage Absalom Station's weird magic stuff? Or are you dealing with kind of a street level thing of like, how, how can we help some of the refugees here? How can we be become community leaders to, um, to, to resolve these street level concerns? Um, as opposed to solving the drift crisis. Um, and one of those adventure hooks really takes you into the ghost levels, which are these um, nebulously large s- section of Absalom Station that is basically, we don't go there, it's haunted. Um, and so uh, Absalom Station starts to ask, authorities start to ask, like, well, wh- wh- what if we sent in people who are good at getting rid of haunted things, and, and that way we could free up some more space, and we can put some of these people here, and we can basically expand Absalom Station. Um, we should have done this, like, 300 years ago, but we, we didn't. We were um, <laughs> fortunately, we have player characters now, and they work for peanuts. Um, God, it's so, true. Uh, it was an opportunity to really look into the ghost levels a whole bunch, and so there's some fun information in there uh, about exploring the ghost levels. Um that leave open a lot of space for you as as a storyteller to add in your own stuff um but one of the things was like what 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 things do haunt this place and the undershrikes are one of them um 
and uh, there, there's kind of some theories in their article about like what, where did these come from anyway? Um, such as like these were these were people who were living down here during the gap, and when the gap ended, they didn't quite come out of the gap as they used to be. Um, and so it's like, who, are, are people kind of trapped in these understrike beings? Um, and a piece of lore that's in there is that each one of them seems to speak a completely different language. Mm-hmm. As far as observers are able to tell, there don't seem to be any two understrikes that speak the same language, and yet they can all understand each other. Um, and I feel this kind of creates these interesting moments of of players overhearing or, per- or perceiving these uh, creatures interacting in a way that causes player character players just to look at each other with side eye and be like, I don't know that this is actually where we want to be, where it's like, we can only understand one of these three creatures who are talking to each other or past each other, and we don't like what the one is saying or how it's responding to the others, and we don't know what the other two are saying. <laughs> but, but we have exactly enough information to be really scared and, and no prey out of here. Um, so I just find them fun and creepy and, and atmospheric, which is really what you need the ghost levels to be. I do like fun, creepy, and atmospheric. It is my thing. Uh, very cool. Um, Dustin, I know that you weren't with us last time we did it. Do you have a favorite creature in this book? Uh, you tell John all about how much you love it. Does Dustin a, have a favorite creature in this book? Give him a, a friendly hit of dopamine on these trying times. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, the first thing that got me when I was just uh, zipping through the creatures here was probably, I'll put it up here in art, the sky sail. The art was fantastic for it. And um, I have a thing for plants that drain intelligence. Uh, I don't know why. Alex knows why, but I don't know why. Uh that's a very specific uh, kink to have (laughs) (laughs) oh um no they're just they're they're it's 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 uh i I like these kind of like uh i could see this in a traditional fantasy but i love seeing it in a science fantasy and uh, uh they're they're really cool i also love i'm a big fan of like pets former zoo pets rich people buying these monsters they definitely shouldn't have so i do like seeing that and you have to imagine during a big crisis like this that's going to be a problem mm-hmm. yeah absolutely like when, when we could import things for the intelligence eating plant to eat that were right humane or or sustainable that was fine now we don't um and now for lack of lack of you know, gerbils to feed to our collection of boa constrictors. Um, <laughs> the snakes are angry, um, and and they are escape artists, and they have found a way out. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. Definitely. What about you, Alex? Anything you like? Oh my gosh! Uh, I mean, well, first of all, last week we talked about the protomanders and just the idea of fusing uh, hated enemies with a being of primordial chaos is amazing to me, and I love it. Uh, you, and you know what one I really like that I, I didn't expect that I was really going to like? I really like the art for the Rift Stalker. There's just something really cool and mystic and magical about a green glowy wolf thing. Like, I don't know if they're all green glowy wolf things, but I'm okay with that specific uh, Drift Stalker. Also, the uh, the Umduveng is awesome because he basically looks like Jumbo Jukiba from Lilo of Stitch if he had an extra pair of hands. So that's, <laughs> that's, 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 good. that's good by me. <laughs> Disney gets everywhere, man. 
Some yeah, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the Rift Stalkers can basically look a, like a wide variety of, of different creatures depending upon what plane or what rift it is that they're mm. hanging nearby. So I think this one I ordered as specifically to try and be like an Elysium, an Elysium um, Catic Good Rift Stalker. Nice. Um, mm. and so it's just like, give, give me kind of a planty, naturey, glowy wolf thing. Um, and like, All right, good. Yep. Happy with what we got here. It's wonderful. Uh, definitely to the point where someday, you know, uh, Rift Stalker c- creature companions would be really cool. It'd be great. G- uh, give me, please. Um, Were we just talking about irresponsible pet ownership? Uh, yes, we were absolutely talking about irresponsible <laughs> pet ownership. Weren't we uh, just talking about player characters doing things and then realizing that they'd started g- galaxy wide catastrophes? You know what? Uh, I'm willing to take the risk for a good extra planar doggo. <laughs> um, man, so wow! I just you know getting to hear a lot about the how the the work that goes into this book is uh, is so fun and interesting. So like, I guess on another handle, are these topics that you like these adventures that you have in this book? Are they things that the the Starfinder team would consider like developing into full modules or adventures, or are they things that are better served as like here are things for you to do what you want with GM? Oh, it's a little bit of both. So, like, uh, a couple of these adventure seeds are ones that we have published adventures that are coming out that uh, touch on them or are kind of exploring them in one way. Mm. Um, but each of these adventure seeds, even if we have an adventure path that riffs off of it, um, allow a lot of flexibility of, of how you want to tell that story. So, which is the one that I'm looking for, like trifold response. Not trifold response. Um, uh, decoding the storm, for example, is is one where it's like, okay, we we have some adventure material that's coming out that's that's touching on those themes, um, and you might even be able to compare them side by side and say, okay, we can see where one informed the other, um, but they're written by separate people. They are they're developed with with the knowledge of what each one is trying to do, um, but they're they're kind of distinct in their own way. So. If you want to play with the adventure path, fantastic. You might get some fun insights of other stuff to add in by looking at that adventure seed. You just want to take the adventure seed and run with it. Mm-hmm. Also great. I do have a question about the adventure paths and, and the interjections. I noticed there's not one for Horizons of the Vast. Is that one just by like timing? It just didn't come out or just didn't seem appropriate? Or uh, I think that was one where I think that was just at the end of our of our cutoff because we had all the fly free or die. Yeah. Um, available when we were when we were getting the stuff written up um but horizon of the bass was still kind of on its own the other thing is that um like as, as far as adventure paths that uh could benefit most from the drift crisis there's a, an extent to which horizon of the bass is kind of self-contained mm-hmm. and, and if mm-hmm. you just wanted to play it in its own little not kingmaker bubble you totally could um granted there are other ways that the drift crisis would affect it like oh no now we can't really get colonists in or now we can't get resources and, and contributions and um i think that folks will find that uh, the combination of all the different ways that the drift crisis is affecting places as well as these samples of like how previous adventure paths could be af- adjusted mm-hmm. um with the drift crisis in mind should be able to help folks um imagine how some of our upcoming adventure paths could also be uh tweaked and adjusted uh depending upon those those factors yeah i, I looked at that i think they have the same release date the final volume of the ap in this so yeah, I was thinking it was actually just timing. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely makes sense. 
I noticed there's an entire like spread on secret treasures. Uh, what goes into making secret treasures for the Drift Crisis? Uh, let's see. This is one of the sections that I did not work on directly, but... I've done it. I've stumped John Compton. I will take my gold star now. <laughs> <laughs> we found out that he, that he didn't work on every single part of the book. Oh my gosh. <laughs> ah. There's, um, there's four pages he doesn't know anything about. <laughs> one of the elements of the Drift Crisis is the Drift Crash, which is uh, the moment the Drift Crisis really just triggers. Uh, uh, the Drift Crash is what like disappears some of the starships that are in the Drift. It's what vomits several of the others into completely unrelated places with no particular way home. Um, and and uh, the Drift Crisis, or the Drift yeah, pulls in planar material, but we also have an adventure seed that is, what if it's just started going in reverse? Mm. Um uh, the 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 uh, space balls equivalent of going from suck to blow. Um, so <laughs> I, I know nice comparison. So uh, the drift crisis crisis treasure table, um, in addition to just providing a whole bunch of weird like whoa, what's what's the story behind this thing that you could find, is also the possibility of stuff that has been drift in reversed. So like wow, uh, you know starship sure did get hucked into the side of Akaton and. It had several of the several of these things survived. What was the story behind the starship? Um, what happened? Why are there no bodies? Even though it's implied that this should have had like a thousand people on board, um, can any of the things on here kind of give us a clue of, of how to investigate and find out where those people went uh, and got Bermuda Triangled? Um, but it's also it's also kind of the classic conundrum, especially in a, in a, in a uh, science fantasy setting where it's like, okay, fantasy setting, we can be like. You find a topaz and three gold bars, you'll be happy. Um, <laughs> right. Oh, it's a curved wooden statue with ruby eyes. Go, go be looters. Um, but, but science fantasy setting doesn't always have that same degree of like intuitive treasure. Yeah. And so the Drift Crisis treasure is also a possibility, a way for us to present different treasures of different value ranges um, to say, okay, you need something random that's about 5,000 credits or could be potentially worth 5,000 credits. Here's stuff that you can roll on a D20 table and and uh, find some cool things that make the players perk up and be like, we could sell this, but but why? Um, <laughs> um, so in addition to all the adventure hooks that we already give you, um, really these treasure tables are are their own set of different storylines just waiting to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, just stuff that you find that isn't meant to be treasure or meant to be notable treasure is so good in games. I've had so many games where we've just kept art I think I kept the couch ones because it was comfortable. Like, if you just give players the ability to find fun stuff, they'll just do dumb stuff with it, which is great. Do you remember that time we, we that you wanted us to keep the entire closet full of, like, fine china? <laughs> <laughs> but, but every single one is, is, is its own little way for either players to become fixated, like, closet full of china, or for them to say, oh, hang on, heck with whatever, heck with solving the grift crisis. We're going to do X now. Uh, so, like... <laughs> Results 17 and 18 on the 5,000 credits treasure table. A 200-year-old bottle of Queen's Best Choice, a prestigious mm. Shirin wine from a now-defunct winery, a holographic message projector containing a note saying, bring this when you change your mind about our joint venture, and a set of stellar coordinates in the vast. And it's just like, <laughs> players are going to read that and be like, we don't care about the Eucharist anymore. We're still going to <laughs> years ago. Don't care. <laughs> There's a joint business venture, and maybe the Sheeran Winery is full of like wine liches now, and they're still <laughs> interested. And and they're like, 
that's strange. We don't remember you having a mustache. And, <laughs> and you say, um, it's been 200 years. Of course, you've had time to grow it out. We could have the computer skill, but all we have is bluff. Um, <laughs> oh, I love the complete collection of Batlin Bantrid wind-up toys, all still in the original packaging. Some of them signed <laughs> by the original actors. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, no, I, I wanted to call attention to those treasures because they're hilarious. There's not a single one that I don't adore. Uh, I would not let James sell any of them, and then I would be outvoted and be very sad when they all got sold. Well, take that, take that, you stupid smart chicken. <laughs> I mean, you can, you can just you can just imagine um, like the Raxalite who gets a hovering throne decorated in Baroque ornamentation sized for a tiny creature and made of translucent glittering metallic material. It's worth 25,000 credits, but and we're level five and you don't have nearly that much, but I'm sure that you're going to be paying off for three levels. You could have upgraded your weapon, but you got a throne. <laughs> throne. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I would just take the throne. Yeah. The Raxalite sticks in it is like, you're going to have to sell me with the throne. Okay, <laughs> Bye, little guy. But, but Jimmy, we need you to... Ah, 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 fine. Your Highness, we need you to get and roll That's so funny. Very good. So, uh, we're coming pretty close to time. We've gone for about 45 minutes now. Uh, is there anything about Drift Crisis that we haven't talked about that you really want to share with the world? Uh, a favorite thing, uh, a special place deep inside your heart that you're like, everybody, you need to know all about this thing. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, one of the one of the other elements, like going back to the very beginning of this episode, where I was talking about how like who's near whom does it matter? Um, we have all these big organizations; they barely seem to talk to each other. Um, the drift crisis has been op an opportunity for us to challenge some of that isolation or that apparent isolation. Mm. Um, and so, one of the locations that uh, we we got for this one is a planet called Atuity. Sorry, which has a city called Tuity on it. And um, the Drift Crash basically throws um, a Vescarium warship out into the orbit of this um, Aslanti colony um, and leaves, uh, you know, several hundred Vesk, several hundred, like, Aslanti, you know, troop. We, we don't expect to really do anything here, low-level soldiers. And everybody can't really talk to their home worlds at all. And so there's just this, this standoff. But that Atuity seems to have this interesting functionality where like, it seems to be defining the drift crisis in some way that you can, that you can explore uh, in the course of the campaign. And so Atuity is really this opportunity for us to start mashing together several of these big possible antagonists that haven't had a reason to deal with each other, but now are kind of getting thrown up in, into each other's business. Um, so the Drift Crisis is a great opportunity for us to build that tension between the Islanti Star Empire and the Vescarian for whatever future shenanigans happen, as well as several other of these interactions um, and points. So, so I definitely recommend um, that's going to be Be the Beacons of War uh, Adventure Seed um, is a really fun one because uh, not only do you have the Islanti and the Vescarian happening there, but you have the, the, the people, the like, Islanti inhabitants and colonists where it's like if the Aslanti star empire were to have any place where you look at it and you're like you know 
that actually doesn't feel like it's living in the shadow of a horrible, horrible uh, dehumanizing tyranny. Um, Katari is one of those places. Um, and so it's like, what do the inhabitants think about it? And so you as the player characters have these three different factions that you're kind of playing off of each other or taking sides of or mm -hmm. figuring out what the future is of this. And it's like, is this going to presage war? Is this going to um, become an independent thing of its own right? Um, so it's like these, these moments of isolation that are speaking to possible future storylines that make the, the galaxy seem more connected than before are really exciting to me. Um, because as much as I'd love for you to be able to disappear into that random corner of the galaxy, I really want the galaxy to feel like it is a cohesive whole more and more. Nice. Very awesome. cool. Well, we're looking at 9.50 right now. James and Dustin, do you guys have anything about Drift Crisis you want to share with the world that we haven't gotten to talk about yet? That we haven't gotten to talk about? No. Not in particular. I mean, in general, the book is just great, and it opens up a lot of your understanding. It, it is the weirdest, like, formatted book, and it might take you a little bit to read if you're looking for a thing, because uh, you just get everything when it matters for what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it does take a little while, but it does help kind of bridge your gaps in knowledge whether that is from you not reading other things or just not having things interact with each other like you know the Vescarium and the Atlantis Star Empire both warlike areas you know so nice yeah, yeah. And, and this is definitely this is definitely an experiment on our part and so if if we look at how things go and we say wow that really worked out well um you know might be that we we give some time to cool off and then we consider hey is there another event that we might want to do in the future that has a, a similar kind of approach mm -hmm. um because could be could do loads of fun um and and we certainly have several of the ideas that uh, are on the cutting room floor that are only on the cutting room floor because drift crisis was a title that jumped out to us and we we're like oh yeah we can do stuff with that <laughs> um save guys for another day Hmm. Well, we're certainly excited to see what's coming out on those other days. Uh, Dustin, did you have anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't talked about yet? I want to throw up a picture of Zoe. Zoe is great. <laughs> ah. I know. Uh, I I really appreciate how many of like the the major characters from like Adventure Paths and Starfinder like appear in this uh, in this book. Like Zoe here. Look at him. Right. Yeah, I do love the um the per the opportunity to see how every in one cohesive place how everything's been progressing with all these npcs and all these worlds that i got familiar with through like starfinder society and uh it it comes off it, it's great for that it's awesome for that um it's it's like uh it, it reminds me very much of kind of the lost omens books when two first came out reading up on oh okay this is what happened by canon and all these ap's uh this is where everything's headed now all right this gives me a good beacon to know where to go from here if i want to participate in with the same kind of setting everybody else is involved with and i can't wait to get together at conventions and tell people what my character did during the drift crisis so here's a question that's going to be a weird one it's typically oh when like ap's come out i know weird questions my specialty <laughs> um typically when ap's come out like the the general rule is that they like in, on the timeline they happen the year they're released do you have a canon year that the drift crisis happens or is it not going to be considered for like an actual canon answer for that i i think that um just as how at toward the end of this book we have what the presumed canonical uh cause and an outcome of the drift crisis are um in the same way there's kind of a presumed 
or presumption that like during this year two year period is when the drift crisis is happening before it kind of gets wrapped up nice. um but just like how we provide the flexibility of the causes and effects the flexibility of where you're telling the stories if you want to be presenting the drift crisis you know a couple years earlier a couple years later that's that's not going to change anything <laughs> um so it it's there to be used as as you want to use it um it it's an opportunity for us to not only be providing for a lot of our our published adventure content but a recognition that a lot of the gaming that's happening in starfinder is homebrew is campaigns of your own creation so let's provide you these tools without judgment that you can be using to create those stories that you want to be telling that's cool because in my campaign uh uh the devourer definitely ate triune and that's what oh happened. definitely, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, that that would cause a drift crisis <laughs> 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 well, thanks so much for joining us for No Direction uh, Beyond, uh, John. And thanks to everybody who watched us live. We're live uh, what, uh, once a month on Wednesdays. The best way to figure out when we're going is, quite frankly, uh, like the drift crisis, you can never really be sure when we're going live. So uh, the best way to find out is by uh, hopping onto our Discord. Um, you can find the link at nodirectionpodcast.com. And uh, we are a super cool cool and chill community that talks all about pathfinder first and second edition starfinder and now the essence 20 games uh do you want to throw a link to that yeah you did oh you guys are great i love you both um so uh any uh any shout outs anybody wants to make before we sign out nope i'm good no uh uh, Dustin has a book that came out on, on Starfinder Infinite. Uh, it is a Galactic Magic's uh, Secret Feet chapter. He did it with Owen and uh, Salatra Harving, so you should... Uh, no, I said that wrong. Sasha, uh, Lara, Noah Harving. Yes. Um, so uh, if you want to check that out, you totally should. Uh, Starfinder Infinite is super cool. Uh, you support Paizo, and you support Dustin, and you support Owen. You literally can't lose. Um, so... Uh, Thanks for joining us on uh, No Direction Beyond, and uh, until next time, go beyond with No Direction.